0: We turn in the sacred scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read the entire chapter together and our text is the 13th and final verse of the chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part But then shall I know, even as also I am known. Now our text. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, over the course of 14 sermons now, we have been in an in-depth study of that chief fruit of the Spirit, that most wonderful of the Christian graces, charity or Christian love. And it's tonight that we arrive at the last verse of this beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and thus the end of our study and our series on the chapter. And Having already had 14 sermons on the chapter, little needs to be said by way of introduction. Verse 13 is the grand conclusion of a grand chapter on a grand subject. A chapter that has gotten to the very heart of what it is to be a Christian and set before us the whole will of God for our lives. A chapter which has shown us what true love is in distinction from all of the so-called loves that can be found in the world today. Chapter which has recently lifted us up to the heights, even to heaven itself, and given us a glimpse into the world to come. And our text before us will do that once again. A Beautiful chapter that ends on such a high note. And now abideth faith. Hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is love. Here the inspired apostle. Ends really where he began. He began by setting before us the supreme value. The supreme worth of love. The reality that Christian love is the greatest gift. And the gift which makes all other spiritual gifts profitable. The gift without which no other spiritual gift will profit anything. He set before us the value of love. He showed us what love is. And now he presses the applications upon our hearts. There is nothing more important. Christian love, this is the more excellent way in which we are called to walk. Love is the greatest, even greater than the other great gifts that God bestows through His Spirit. So let us consider the grand conclusion to this chapter, verse 13, under the theme The greatest of these is love. Let us notice in the first place the three that abide. Secondly, the greatest of these. And then finally, what this means for us. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. These three. The text sets before us a triad of Christian virtues which have been earned for us by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. They are blessings of salvation that are worked in us through the operation of His Spirit and under the influence of His Almighty Spirit blossom and show themselves in the lives of God's people. A triad of the most beautiful Christian graces, faith, hope, love. These three. And thus the text bids us briefly this evening to consider these three. What they are and see their beauty and their preciousness. Beginning with faith. 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 What is faith? Children here, you know what faith is. You know what it means to believe in God. To believe in Jesus Christ. It means to know Him and to trust Him. That's the way our Heidelberg Catechism summarizes or really defines faith as a certain knowledge and an assured confidence in God. And our Catechism gets that definition straight from the Scriptures. For example, 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. Where the Apostle Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. There's the knowledge of faith. It's a personal knowledge of the living God as he reveals himself in Jesus Christ. In his word. That mirror. The spiritual mirror in which we see the reflection of God. Verse 12 of this chapter taught us about that. Faith is knowledge. But the apostle goes on in verse 12 to say. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed Him against that day. Am persuaded has the idea of confidence. Trust. Faith is a certain knowledge and assured confidence in God. And so children, when you say, I believe in Jesus, when you say, I believe in God, that's what you mean. You mean, I know Him. I know Him from His word the Bible, and I trust Him as my God, and as my Savior. Because He is faithful and trustworthy. And he shows how faithful and trustworthy he is in the gift of his son Jesus Christ to pay for my sins and earn everlasting life for me. Faith, believing, is knowing and trusting in the one and only true God. And that faith is a precious, you can't put a price on it, precious gift of God. It's worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Faith is not something of man's creation. Man does not one day decide, I'm going to believe in Jesus, and I'm going to make myself believe. No, faith has only one origin, God, and the operation of His Spirit in the heart. Thus, Ephesians 2 verse 8, a verse undoubtedly familiar to us, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And faith's goal, according to 1 Peter 1, verse 9, is the salvation of our souls. The Holy Spirit works true faith in the heart of God's people. And by faith, we embrace Jesus Christ and receive all things necessary for our salvation from Him. Faith is precious. Let that be an application already at this point for all of us, for youth. There's so many things in this world that say I'm valuable, set your heart on me. And many of those things say turn away from your faith. Forget what You know from the Bible about God. Compromise. Give in. Let yourself be deceived. Because I will give you something sweet. I will give you something pleasurable. I will give you something that your heart desires. I'm better than God. That's what those things are saying. Whether it be the allurement of sin. Whether it be the prospect of riches that requires you to give up. Your faith. Or at least compromise it. Let us see. That nothing the world can offer. Young people. Hear this. Nothing the world can offer. Can compare. To this gift of God. Which is faith. Faith by which you know. The one only true and living God. Faith by which you may trust. And rest in Jesus Christ alone. As the savior. Of your soul. And of your whole being. Nothing. Nothing, let nothing be valued more to you than your faith, your faith. Faith is such a special gift of God. As I mentioned a moment ago, it connects us to Christ. Faith is that God designed instrument that He Himself uses To cause us to receive and to appropriate Christ in all his benefits. That doesn't mean that faith itself has some inherent power to save us. That's not the case. Rather, faith's unique role is, as Belgic Confession, Article 22 says, to be the instrument with which we embrace Christ our righteousness. Or later on in the Belgic Confession, in the same article, it is the instrument that keeps us in communion with Christ in all his benefits. Faith. What a gift. Hope. Hope. Faith. Hope. Hope is beautiful. Hope is precious. Hope is another gift of God that arises out of faith's knowledge. And out of faith's trust in Jesus Christ. We are undoubtedly familiar with the definition of hope that we have heard before. It is an earnest expectation. Of great good that is coming to me in the future. Good the reception of which is certain and sure. Earnest expectation of a certain future good. Hope too is a gift of God. True hope is. First Peter 1 verse 3 says we are begotten again unto a lively hope. Romans 15 verse 13 speaks of God as the God of God. Of hope. The idea being that God is the only source of true hope. And indeed God himself is the one object of true hope. True hope comes from no other source than the one only true and living God. Who grants everlasting life and joy and communion with him to his people through Jesus Christ. Hope. Precious hope. Hope is not just wanting something hope is not just wishful thinking or longing for something that is unlikely or uncertain. We recognize that we use that word often that way. We might say I hope the traffic on the road tomorrow when I go to work, I hope the traffic is light or it's not too busy. Very well could be that the traffic's terrible. That's just expressing our wish. That's not the sense in which the Bible uses the word hope. When the Bible speaks about hope, it's speaking about something certain. It's not just talking about an earnest desire that we have, but an earnest desire for something that is coming to us. And the certainty of its coming to us is grounded in the one who promises it God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope's certainty is rooted in the character and the faithfulness of the one whose name is I am that I am. The unchanging, the eternal God who, as Titus 1 verse 2 says, cannot lie. Certain, unchanging, infallible is the Christian hope. And this God who is the unchanging I am that I am is also Named in the Scriptures, the Almighty. He has the power to deliver on His promises. He won't go back on His word. And He will deliver on His word. Ultimately then, hope's certainty is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. As the Scriptures say, all of God's promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. And the word amen, you know, means certain, sure, it shall surely be. All God's promises shall surely be in Jesus Christ. There's God's promise fulfilled. There's the guarantee of that future good to which we look forward. Now what is that future good to which we look forward? To give it a comprehensive description, we'd have to read the whole Bible tonight, which we can't do. Because the Bible says so much about the substance, the object, that which we hope for. Because God has promised to us 1st Timothy 1 verse 1 says Jesus himself is our hope and that's a beautiful thing ultimately Jesus himself is our hope it's on the basis of his work that all good comes to us but the greatest good is fellowship with Jesus himself going back to verse 12 face to face with our savior that's what we hope for Titus 2 verse 13 says that our blessed hope is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. We look forward to His return to judge all men to raise the dead because His second coming ushers in the kingdom in its perfection and the fullness of our inheritance. Titus 1 verse 2 speaks of the hope of eternal life. Romans 8 verse 23 describes our hope as our yearning for our final adoption and the redemption of our body. Connecting to the sermon this morning, the resurrection of the body and the perfection of our whole being and the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth, living and reigning with Christ. That's our hope. Ultimately, our hope, as Romans 5 verse 2 says, is the glory of God. There's a couple senses to that. Our hope is beholding God supremely glorified. Because to the believing heart, to the child of God redeemed by grace, his or her deepest and greatest desire is for God to be glorified. That's what rejoices us. But when Romans 5 verse 2 speaks about our hope of the glory of God, the emphasis is especially on this. That we will one day participate in that glory. Again, verse 12 of this chapter, face to face with God, face to face with Him in the face of Jesus Christ, dwelling with Him in fellowship, enjoying world without end, the riches of His love, grace, and goodness. That's the substance of our hope. And so we see how precious hope is. Similar application to what we made earlier in connection with faith. There's lots of things in the world that say, put your hope in me. I'll save you. I'll give you a good life. I'll fill that hole that you feel inside. I'll satisfy your soul. I'll make you happy. I'll give you a future. Nothing. Even good things nothing can be our hope upon which our souls rest nothing can deliver to us fullness of life face to face with the living God nothing can deliver to us the forgiveness of our sins everlasting righteousness and salvation nothing can deliver to us an imperishable inheritance with the saints in life, nothing can only one The Lord Jesus Christ. Revealed in the Gospel. There is no other one in whom we can hope but Christ. So beloved, as you cherish the gift of faith that God has given you. Cherish that gift of hope as well. How precious it is. Faith. Hope. Love. The last of this blessed triad. The virtue of grace that this whole chapter has been about. And we can be brief here because we've had so many sermons on love. And the nature of love. And the attitudes of love. And the activities of love. We know what love is. It is at heart that purposeful, that committed pursuit of the true good of another person. Love delights in doing good to another. Even at personal expense, love gives. Love gives of self. And love seeks, if possible, to have fellowship with the one who is the object of that love. Like hope, true love springs from faith. We'll see later in the sermon that the greatest of these is love. But faith is foundational. Faith, you might say, is the mother of both hope and love. True love springs from faith. Why? Because faith, worked in the heart by the Spirit, faith beholds the love of God. The God who first loved us. And faith beholding the love of God, fruitfully brings forth love for Him in return. And love for the neighbor. The love of God. As 1 John 4 verses 10 and 11 describe it. God. His love is first. His love is powerful. His love is creative. His love is causative. His love brings forth our love. And the supreme demonstration. The supreme enactment of God's love. Is the gift of Jesus Christ. Who is so committed. To our eternal good that he gave his life upon the cross. And suffered the fullness of hell for us. To redeem us from our sins and merit all of those blessings for us. There is love. There is love at the highest personal cost. Faith. God given faith sees that love. And in beholding that love. Internalizing that love. Responds with a love. That bears the likeness of the love of God for me. As Christians, we bear the image of Christ. The Spirit is working that image of Christ in us so that spiritually we look like Christ. And when we behold the love of God in the gospel for us. As image bearers, we reflect that glory of God by loving like God loves. In a creaturely way and in a creaturely measure. The love of God reflected to us in the mirror of the scriptures is the love then that we are called to reflect to our neighbor. As 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And what a precious gift this true Christian love is. True love is in the biblical sense, brings fullness of joy. Is there anything more deep and rich and joyous and satisfying than love? Loving God. And loving those that God has placed in my life. That's what this text has been about. And this is the great privilege of the Christian. To walk that more excellent way of love. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4-7 through painted the portrait of love. And we've noted several times that that portrait is ultimately the portrait of Jesus Christ. But now as those who belong to Jesus. And who in the words of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Are being changed into the same image from glory to glory. We have this privilege of more and more walking in that love. Faith. Hope. Love. These three. A beautiful triad. Of God's gifts. But now of these three. The text says they abide. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. The teaching of our text then is this. That faith, hope and love remain. They stick around, they abide, they continue in a way that other spiritual gifts do not. Remember, that's one of the great contrasts that the Apostle is drawing in this chapter, especially between love and the other spiritual gifts that the Corinthians prized so highly, but gave a place of too great prominence such that they neglected Christian love to the detriment of their congregation. And Paul has been saying, those gifts, such as knowledge in its current form, prophecy, the speaking of tongues, those things will pass away. But love, love never fails. Love is everlasting. But now our text makes this very, very important point. There are three that abide faith, hope, charity. Now that requires us to address a common interpretation of this text, which doesn't do full justice. To the text. And the common interpretation is that love alone abides, but faith and hope do not. Love alone is everlasting, but faith and hope are temporary and pass away. And the idea, the reasoning behind this somewhat common interpretation is that love is the greatest, as the text says. And so that word greatest is interpreted to mean everlasting, whereas the others are thought to be temporary. Now on the second point, we'll look at At what senses love is the greatest. But the idea is not that love outlives faith and hope. The reasoning behind this interpretation also goes like this. Faith will become sight. Does that not mean faith ceases entirely? Hope will be fulfilled when we obtain the good for which we hope. Thus, It will pass away, will it not? In fact, one well-known commentator said something to the effect that in heaven there will be no room for faith. Because it will become sight. And in heaven there will be no more room for hope. There will only be room for love. But this interpretation, while understandable, doesn't do full justice to the text. The text says more. You read our text and you read it without any preconceived notions. And now abide faith, hope, charity, these three. Coming to the text without any preconceived notions, how many things abide? These three, the text says. And in fact, the grammar of the text makes that very clear. The verb. Which is in the prominent first position in the text. At least in the Greek. The word abide is the very first word. Emphasizing the abiding nature of these graces. That verb abide. Has as its subject. These three. Faith, hope, love. There is not a different verb for each of those three things. But all three are the subject. You could translate the text this way. And now abideth faith, and abideth hope, and abideth charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The grammar of the text makes explicitly clear there is not one that abides, continues, lasts forever, but three. But now, what about the Bible's teaching that faith will become sight? The Bible does teach that. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for example. Doesn't that mean faith will come to an end? Now, to be sure, in the world to come, in heaven, in the everlasting state, in the new heavens and the new earth, faith will be radically changed. There's no doubt about that. It will be fulfilled. And certain aspects of our faith as it is now will pass away. There will be no more in heaven. For example, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that faith is the evidence, that is the conviction of things unseen. When in heaven we see God face to face, there will not be those unseen things anymore. Faith will change. But does that mean that faith will be entirely abolished in the age to come? Does that mean that faith is entirely a temporary thing that will be gone in heaven? What is faith at heart anyways? A certain knowledge. Assured confidence. Now yes, preceding verses in 1 Corinthians 13 tell us that knowledge shall vanish, shall pass away. That is knowledge in its current form. But you look back at the text we considered last week. This is what heaven will be. Then... Shall I know even as also I am known. That's faith made perfect. Deepest, richest, fullest knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Knowledge that is no longer mediated by this mirror. But which is direct. As you abide in the presence of God. And trust. The assured confidence of faith. When we get to heaven, will we stop trusting God? Of course not. When we get to heaven, we will trust Him better and more than we ever have before. In fact, we will trust Him perfectly as His children. Yes, in heaven, faith becomes sight. But that isn't the end of faith. That's the perfection of faith. Indeed, faith will be changed. But for eternity future, we shall know God and trust Him with all our hearts. Faith abides. What about hope? Doesn't hope come to an end in heaven? What more is there to hope for after all? In heaven we will enjoy the fullness of that imperishable inheritance that we hoped for here below. Besides, Romans 8.24 says, Hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Can hope really abide into eternity future? True. Just like with faith. Hope will change. Drastically so. For in heaven we will enjoy all of the blessings of salvation in their fullness. For which we hope presently. We will have that inheritance. We will be with Christ. We will be made perfect. All of salvation that we now hope for. We will have. But does that mean there will be nothing. Nothing more to hope for? Will you ever see all that there is to see of God and His goodness? Or will heaven rather be this? That eternity will not be long enough to get to the bottom of who God is, to drink deeply enough of the f- overflowing fountain of all good. Will eternity be long enough to experience all of His goodness, to exhaust the storehouse of His goodness? No. God is the overflowing fountain of all good, and He will eternally overflow toward us, our cup. Runneth over everlastingly. You see, in heaven, there will always be something to look forward to. There will always be more good to earnestly expect from our God. Hope, well changed, abides. And that's important. Heaven is not going to be a boring or dull place. Everlasting life is not going to be static. Maybe some of the children here have thought this before. I'm not ready to go to heaven because it sounds like a boring place if all it's going to be is an everlasting church service. Now, we enjoy the services of the church because we get to praise our God here in church. But that's not what heaven's going to be. It's not going to be an eternal church service. Always the same. Nothing new. It can't be that. Because you can never get to the bottom of God. There's always going to be something new. Something fresh. Something amazing. From the infinite God. In eternal life we will ever be deepening in our knowledge of the infinite God. There will be new transports of joy as we know Him more and more. If His mercies are new for us every morning here and now. Will not his joys be new for us every morning, then and there? Hope abides. There will always be an earnest expectation of more good coming. And so now you see how the grand conclusion of this chapter ends on a high note. Verse 12 gave us a glimpse of heaven and verse 13 does the same thing. To pull everything together. What will heaven be like? Heaven will be a world of faith, hope, and love made perfect. A place where faith is made perfect. Where I know God perfectly even as I am known. And I rest in Him completely without any sin or anything else getting in the way or causing doubt. Faith made perfect. Heaven will be a world and life of hope made perfect. Part of heaven's joys will be forever anticipating the good that is to come. The inexhaustible storehouse of God's goodness toward His people. Not only will there be no more suffering. Not only will our salvation be made perfect. But we will never get to the bottom of God's goodness. We will enjoy the eternal unfolding of the blessed life that God has planned for His saints in glory. Back to Psalm 16 which we sang and thought about this morning. The very last verse. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. At Thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the idea should not be a static picture But a river of joy and a river of pleasure that's moving and ever fresh, ever renewing. We will always have something to look forward to. And heaven will be a world and life of love made perfect. At last, we will fully be in harmony with God and with His will. His will will be our will. Part of the painless, sorrowless, sinless bliss of heaven will be that at last we all love one another perfectly. Love God perfectly. We'll love one another perfectly as well. Perfectly committed to each other's good. Perfectly seeking and delighting in each other's fellowship. We won't hurt each other anymore. We won't be divided from each other anymore. We won't gossip about each other anymore. We won't forsake or turn our backs on or reject one another anymore. There won't be strife. There won't be division. There won't be death. There won't be pain. There won't be sickness. There won't be anything that drives a wedge between the relationships of the communion of the saints. It will be love made perfect. That's the will of God. That's the goal of God. That's heaven. That's what life will be like. Love given to us now, that everlasting blessing will define heavenly life. It will forever be the bond of perfectness that knits together the communion of the saints in love for each other and their God and Christ the King. These three abide. But now, while there are three that abide, there is one that is the greatest of these. The greatest of these, the text says, is charity. Here Paul shows the all-surpassing greatness, value, importance of love by comparing it, not only to the spiritual gifts that we looked at earlier. Earlier in the chapter Paul compared love with tongue speaking, with knowledge, with, with prophecy, that is the ability to teach and to preach the word of God very important spiritual gifts necessary for the health and well-being of the church in this world you would say those are some of the most important gifts but paul doesn't just compare and contrast love with those gifts which shall pass away but paul compares love with the best of the best the greatest of the great to other abiding graces faith and hope Faith and hope, which unlike prophecy, teaching, tongues, and knowledge in its present form, all of those will pass away. Faith and hope will not pass away. They abide. But of these three that abide, these three cardinal graces which define what the life of heaven will be like, one is on top. One is supreme. One is the greatest of these. And that's love. And that's an astonishing teaching. Because we've already seen how great and how precious faith and hope are. The application was made at the beginning of the sermon. Beloved, don't count anything more precious to you than your faith. What can be more precious than hope that enables us to endure through any adversity in this life? And yet there's something that's greater even than these two. Love. The Spirit-wrought Christian love for God and for one another. The greatest of these. The greatest. Why? Why is love the greatest? We've already seen, love is not the greatest because it outlives or outlasts faith and hope. That's the common interpretation. But love is greater Is the greatest of these for three other reasons. First. When we are filled with love. When we are living love. When we are walking this most excellent way. Then we are like God. You see the end goal of God's work of salvation in us. Is to make us like him. And the Bible says God is love. Now to be sure, the Bible teaches God is all of his attributes. God is grace. God is mercy. God is almighty power. God is wisdom. But it is not without reason that the Bible especially emphasizes the attribute of love. And more than once, especially in 1 John, says God is love. Because love is... Gets at the very nature of God. This is who he is in himself. As the one only true and living God. And God's life within himself is not eternal nothingness. Eternal sameness in the sense of no life. No relationship. Of course God is immutable. Meaning he does not change the way we change. But God is a living God. And his life within himself is. Is a life of relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Living eternally. A relationship of perfect love. Each of the three persons of the Trinity. Mutually committed to the other's good and blessedness. Delighting in the other. Love is at the heart of who God is. God is love. And God's saving work of calling us out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Of redeeming us through Jesus Christ. Of refashioning us after his image. It all has this goal to shape us into a people who love. Like our God who first loved us. God doesn't have faith. God doesn't have hope. Those two belong to us. But God is love. And so love is the greatest of these because it is God's end goal for His people. When all is said and done. When God's counsel is realized. When salvation wrought by Christ and obtained is fully applied. And we stand in the new heavens and the new earth. Love will define life forevermore. Faith, hope, abide. But the greatest of these is love. Second reason that love is the greatest. And this really flows out of the first. It's the heart of God's covenant. We've alluded to this before. God's purpose is to establish a covenant. A relationship of love and friendship with His people. Love is the life of the covenant. That's what the covenant is according to Scripture. It is walking and talking with God in love. It's a relationship of unconditional love and friendship. God has established His covenant with us in Jesus Christ. And now how do we live out that covenant? Love. That's the life of the covenant. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, God is love and He that dwelleth in love. Love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. That's profound. And it brings out, again, the goal of all our salvation. Is that we live in love with our God, and with one another. Thirdly, love is the greatest of these because... It extends outside of ourselves to others. It extends outside of ourselves and benefits and blesses others. And brings pleasure to us in the act of blessing another. And that's the pure joy that reflects our God's own joy. God delights in salvation. Jesus delights in salvation. Even though to save us from our sins it cost Him everything, yet nonetheless, God the Son came down from heaven, took upon Himself our flesh. He extended Himself out of glory into our misery and our darkness. And He suffered and died to do us the greatest good and to take us for Himself so that we could live with Him face to face. That's love. Love gives of self to bless another and in blessing finds the greatest joy. And our God delighted to give himself for our salvation. And love then is the greatest of these in that love, like God's love for us, is how we get to respond to God's goodness forever. That's what we get to do forever in glory. Respond to his goodness to us by loving him. Loving each other. And in that giving. That extending outside of ourselves to others. We find pure joy. These three abide. But the greatest of these is love. And So what does this mean for us? We can be brief here because so many of the applications that could be made at this point have already been made in the course of the series. Some concluding applications to press the soil down over the seed of the Word as it's been planted in our hearts over the course of several months. What does this mean for us? It means this. This is what our life should be. This is how we are to live. This is how we want to live. Faith, hope, Love. God gives many gifts. And we are to exercise those gifts. And we are to use those gifts. But they must be governed by the greatest of these. Love. And they all must serve. These three that abide. The cultivation and living out of faith, hope, and love. That's what the ministry of the church is about. That's what the Christian schools should be about. That's what the preaching of the gospel should serve. That's what we should aim at in our homes, in the teaching of our children, in the raising of our children. These three abide. These are to be lifted up as the most important. This is what the Christian life is all about. Faith, hope, love. You had to explain... To someone who's never heard of the Christian faith before. And they ask you the question. So how does a Christian live? What is it like to be a Christian? You could quote 1 Corinthians 13.13 to them. And that would be a wonderful answer. Then explain what it means. and Explain the theology behind it. God who first loved me. And sent Jesus Christ. And redeemed me from my sin. And now this is the blessed life I get to live in thankfulness unto Him. Faith. Hope, love. Let's prioritize love then. That's what we need to do in this world which has so corrupted love. Let us reject all of the corrupted versions and views of love of the world today. But let us not overreact to the misuse of the idea of love in the world. And be dismissive of love as if that's not important. But let us say what the Bible says. Faith, hope, love these three abide but the greatest of these is love that's what heaven's going to be but we're not called to wait till we get to heaven to start exercising faith hope and love let us now let us now with an earnestness of gratitude towards our god let us now begin grow In faith, hope, love, that these three may abide in us and abide in everything we say and do until at last in glory they are made perfect. And faith made perfect, hope made perfect, love made perfect is our life before the face of God and Jesus Christ, face to face, forevermore. May the Lord use the word we've heard in this chapter, in this series, to press these truths into our hearts, and to draw forth a joyful and willing response. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, We thank and we praise Thee for the beautiful Word contained in 1 Corinthians 13. For the glimpses of heaven we were given. For the encouragement this verse at the end of the chapter has given for our lives here below. Strengthen us by Thy Spirit to walk the more excellent way. Faith, hope, and in true Christian love. Amen.